0: Hey West Bulls, thank you for tuning in. We are in week three of when right now is in the rearview, And the idea behind all this is simple. It's the idea that today, and whatever we're facing today, is eventually going to be a yesterday. And it's going to be something that we look back on. Right now is eventually going to be in the rear view. And, and perhaps there's no better person to speak to that in our lives than Peter, follower of Jesus. Because as we look at Peter's younger years, they are full of these moments that you just read them and you think, if I were in his shoes, I'd I'd be looking back cringing at that. I'd be regretting that reaction. But that's not what you see years later in Peter's life. Decades later, after all these right now moments Peter has had, he's able to speak with God's wisdom to the church in his first letter to the church as it's been scattered And there is so much in what he says that he only could have said if it had come from the lessons learned from experience years prior. It reminds me of when I was younger. When I first started driving, there seemed to be the same issues going on with my car over and over. Warped rotors and balding tires. And I remember thinking, gosh, if only they'd make these rotors better. And if only they'd make these tires better. Because it it certainly couldn't be anything else. Finally, somebody sat down with me and said, you know, are you, are you hitting the brakes on curves a lot? And as I thought about it, I went, yeah, I am. And they said, yeah, that's why you have warped rotors. And are you rotating your tires regularly? And as I thought about it, I went, no, I'm not. And they said, yeah, that's why your tires are wearing. In other words, what I thought was the issue all along really wasn't the issue. It wasn't that better rotors and tires needed to be made. It was that I needed to handle and take care of the car differently. So it is with our faith. Peter, years down the road, is able to say to the church as it's been scattered that your faith, how you handle it, how you drive it, how you care for it, is going to play a part in navigating these right now moments, these difficult circumstances. And so it is with us today. As we look at this coronavirus situation, quarantine, now coming out of quarantine to some degree, how we handle our faith matters. It absolutely matters. And Peter, as we discussed last week, at the beginning of his letter, gives this really big idea when it comes to our faith and the peace we have inside and the hope we have inside. It was simply this, that your peace is inside out, not outside in. No matter the circumstances you walk through right now, you do not get a sense of peace from what's happening outside of you. Your peace comes from what your Savior did inside of you, at the cross. And so with that in mind, Peter is now going to continue in his letter, and we're going to continue walking through it, and Peter begins to get much more practical. Peter is about to tell them and tell us how that looks that if, if your peace is truly anchored to what he's done inside of you, then how does that look in the day-to-day? And he happens to point out three areas that we're going to look at today that we tend to misunderstand. Look at the first one. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. He says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, So be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Question for you. Did something just happen inside of you? Because there's a word in that verse that tends to uh, do something inside of us when we hear it. It's the word holy. We think of holy, and of course we think of God, but when he says be holy, something happens inside of us that causes us to maybe shy away a little bit. Eight years ago, a group called the Barna Group did some research, and they did a survey of Americans, and it was tied to this idea of whether or not we think we can actually be holy. 21% of Americans estimated that somebody could become holy, though most didn't consider themselves as capable of attaining that. Even more surprising was when they got to Christian Americans. Three out of 10 Christian Americans, 29% to be precise, said the exact same thing as all Americans. 29% believed it was even a possibility of becoming holy. The rest did not. And it's because this thing happens inside of us. We associate being holy with life having no holes. That is, everything is going perfectly and I'm perfect as well. We tend to treat holiness, or maybe shy away from it, the way a group of Los Angeles residents interacted with this concert hall that Disney built. They built a $274 million concert hall in Los Angeles, and it was only a matter of time that something began to happen that made residents very uncomfortable. At certain times of the day, the sun would come up, and as it hit the glass of the of the concert building, it would suddenly reflect into the condos across the street. And what would happen to the residents there is the heat would rise inside their condos by as much as 15 degrees. They'd have to get off their patios, shut the curtains and turn on the air conditioning until the light shifted and the heat wasn't so crazy. One resident said, I couldn't even see and the furniture in my condo got really, really hot. And so in an effort to dull the glare of the sunlight... Disney decided to start putting mesh blankets over the windows of the concert hall. And everyone agreed this was an eyesore and it looked awful. And you hear that and you think, how often do we try to dull the glare of holiness that God not only asks us to live in, but he empowers us to live in? See, be holy. Peter's emphasis on being holy is one area that we tend to get uncomfortable and misunderstand and and we shift our living and think that the fix is something different than what it is but that's not all he moves into a second area in verse 17 since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear did you catch that second scary word in there there, there's be holy, which does something to us, but reverent fear is another area that we tend to misunderstand. We all understand the fear piece, but it's the type of fear that we're talking about here. See, we forget about the word reverence before it. And so we tend to interact with our Heavenly Father and think about our relationship with Him as a scared of, not reverent of. If, if you're anything like me, It's like when you'd be driving, and when you looked in the rearview mirror, you saw a policeman driving behind you. And don't we all have something go through our bodies when a police officer is driving behind us? You tend to almost drive worse because you're so so full of trepidation. And you're sure that those lights are going to come on at any moment and pull you over. But Peter's not getting at that kind of a fear. He further clarifies in verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. In other words, there's something different than the patterns you've known. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God. Peter says this is a different kind of fear. This is a reverent fear of a God who's for you who not only did something so that you'd be with him forever because he loves you that much but that he likes you so much he wants to spend time with you today and he's not out to wait to turn on the red and blue lights and the sirens at your next mistake. That's the difference between scared of and reverent of. And now he's going to move into a third area that we tend to misunderstand and it affects the way we live and handle and drive the vehicle that is our faith in all circumstances, even now. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other love one another deeply from the heart for you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God There's something in there that we all gravitate to and it's this it's this idea to love one another deeply from the heart It sounds wonderful, but sometimes when the rubber meets the road, that gets a little bit difficult because we tend to love one another from conditions we set, not the word that God spoke. And what Peter's getting at here is that there is a relationship between our obedience to the word that cultivates love for people and our actual love for people. Heather King is an NPR commentator and a recovering alcoholic, And she reflects, in an article on a blog that she wrote, she reflects on her initial experience with the church, and she has this to say. My first impulse was to think, my God, I don't want to get sober, or in the case of the church, worship with these nutcases, or boring people, or people with different politics, taste in music, food, books, or whatever. Nothing shatters our egos like worshiping with people we did not handpick. The humiliation of discovering that we are thrown in with extremely unpromising people. People who are broken, misguided, wishy-washy, out for themselves. People who are... us. But we don't come to church to be with people who are like us in the way we want them to be. We come because we have staked our souls on the fact that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the church is the best place, the only place to be while we all struggle to figure out what that means. We come because we'd be hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of the two scandals of God, that he loves us or that he loves everyone else. Three commands from Peter there. Be holy, live in reverent fear, love one another deeply. And as I look at the rearview mirror of my own life, I realize that I've had a very different picture of what those things ought to be. I've envisioned be holy as be flawlessly perfect, no mistakes allowed, Nathan. I've envisioned reverent fear as scared of fear, as though God is in the rearview mirror just waiting to catch me on my next mistake. And I've even pictured loving deeply, really with a set of conditions that I've placed on people, rather than the love that comes from obeying the word of God that he's given us. And my tendency is I think about all that and, and our tendency when we see an issue in our lives, when we see a command that we that we're not sure we can live up to, we tend to go on a self-help journey. We think willpower and determination and human strength is going to be what makes us holy, what creates reverent fear and allows us to love one another deeply. And I'm reminded of my younger years of my notions of what would make my car run better. If they would just make better rotors, if they would just make better tires, if they would just make the parts of the car better, well, then it would be a better car. And Peter is about to remind us, Peter from his own life experience, we get a reminder that it's not anything to do with human strength. That the, the solution To how the car is handled is not my own personal plan to getting better at it. It's tied to something different, and it affects the way you handle the car. It affects the way you navigate right now. It actually comes out of a conversation from earlier in Peter's life. Out of Matthew chapter 18, one day Peter comes to Jesus, and he says the thing that he just pointed us at the redemption with the blood of Jesus. He comes to Jesus one day and he says, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Let me read Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And if you know Peter's younger years, this is one of those moments where Peter thinks Peter has the best answer. I mean, surely there can't be something better than forgiving seven times until Jesus answers. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And what follows is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And Jesus, he, he tells this story of a man who owed an incredible and enormous debt to this king. And it was a debt so big that he could have worked every hour for the rest of his life, maybe even a whole a whole additional lifetime, and he still wouldn't pay it off. And it was when he asked for mercy. He begged for mercy that the king said, "I forgive your debt. You're free. You can go." The man leaves and immediately he finds someone who owes him. And they owe him not a lifetimes debt. They owe him for maybe a couple days. This could be worked off. This could be settled. This could be negotiated. Instead, the man who had received forgiveness has the one who owes him a much smaller debt thrown in prison. Those who are watching, they're watching all this and they become angry and they go and they tell the king and this is the king's response. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus ends this parable with a few words that should sound familiar to you and I after reading Peter's letter to the church. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Remember what Peter said in his letter? Be holy, live with reverent fear, love one another deeply from the heart. And here we have a parable from Peter's early years that perhaps he was thinking back on as he wrote that letter years later of a king so holy, so set apart that he had everything, needed nothing so he could forgive the debt that was owed him. An opportunity for the one who'd been set free to live and walk in reverent fear with the reminder of just how much he'd been forgiven. And then a command to love one another deeply with the forgiveness that we've been given ourselves, to love from the heart. Is it possible that for all of our worrying and wondering and our attempts at being holy, having reverent fear, loving one another deeply? Is it possible it's not a self-help plan? It's simply to live in the forgiveness that we've received and extend that to others. You want to be holy? Remember the Holy One who forgave you. You want to walk with reverent fear? Remember just how much we've all been forgiven. You want to love somebody else deeply from the heart? Extend that same forgiveness to them because there's something about difficult times that tends to put the mirror on ourselves and we shrink down to our own view our own our own perception of ourselves and we tend to just get really really self-centered but forgiveness solves all that his forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others it tends to reframe the circumstances we walk through and while we've all been put behind our doors and, and in, inside of our four walls, this, this very act, forgiveness, raises our eyes to look around at our Heavenly Father and those around us. See, the way you navigate right now is with the rearview mirror angled to look around us, not at us. I mean, can you imagine driving down the road, looking in the rearview mirror, and it's pointed at you? But when you adjust it, rather than seeing a police officer trying to trap your every mistake, as we often envision God to be, instead we see a father who follows with his forgiveness at all times. See, that would have an effect on a driver, wouldn't it? It, it, Of course it would encourage best behavior. We'd obey every traffic light. We'd stop completely at every stop sign. We'd use our blinkers. We'd even keep the right distance between us and other cars, but it would have another effect. It would remind us, and it would remind a driver that somebody's with them, that a father goes with them, and his forgiveness goes with them. In that sense, the driver, although they drive alone, they're never really driving alone. And this is how it is for the people of God. To walk through right now, with our Heavenly Father in the rearview mirror, and His forgiveness, not just in the rearview mirror, but all around us right now. We have only to adjust the mirror off of ourselves in order to see Him. And so with that being said, I can think of no better way to end the sermon and end our service than communion, to reflect back on that act of forgiveness that a Holy Father gave to us through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn it over to one of our Stephen ministers, Brett Gothier, and he will lead us through communion. Thank you for tuning in.